Well, before my dad became a pastor, he spent about 20 years as an FBI agent. And one of the things he got when he retired was something that I now keep in my office. It's a plaque with the FBI seal on it, and it's got these three words underneath. Fidelity, bravery, and integrity. Three words that the FBI evidently wanted to be known for. Now, if you had to choose three words that you wanted to be known for, what would they be? I asked uh, some of my friends that question this week. I heard compassionate. I heard integrity. I heard faithfulness, honesty. I asked my wife, she said she would want to be known as being always right. So <laughs> that's a good one too. But what do you think Jesus would want you to say to that question? What do you think he would want you to be known for? Now, of course, we don't know exactly what Jesus would say to that. But when he went up that hill in Matthew chapter five, what were the first three priorities that he gave his followers? Probably not what comes to our mind as our top three. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. And then what we'll find today, blessed are the meek. Now, if you stop and think about those being Jesus' first three priorities, are you surprised that he started with those three? If you look through Amazon's best-selling list, you probably won't find too many Christian bestsellers with those words in the titles. Or if you're shopping at Hobby Lobby, you probably won't find too much art for your home uh, with the words poor, mourn, and meek on it. In fact, if you see that at someone's house, you probably think that's a little strange. But here's the reality. Those were the first three priorities that Jesus gave to his followers. And if that does come as a surprise to any of us, it's all the more reason to lean into what Jesus is going to tell us today as we seek to be framed by his teaching. Good morning, everybody. Great to have you under the tent today. I know it's a hot one, so you get to... Uh, you know, listen to God's word and sweat off a few pounds today at the same time. That's an FBC exclusive right there. So you're welcome for that, all right? And also welcome to those who are joining us online. It's probably 72 degrees in your house right now. And you know, that's awesome. <laughs> well, we're three weeks into a new series called True North. It's a series all about locking into what Jesus said should be our priorities. If you remember, we've been using the um, illustration of the big rocks. So Chris did this a couple times early on in our series where you have a small container. If you've got to get a lot of different size rocks in there, you got to start with the big ones. And the illustration is that in our life, there's a lot of things vying for our attention. Let's start with the biggest priorities and then we'll have room for every other aspect of our lives. We've been leaning into a question it's actually one that we've talked about with our big rock principle. Where do your priorities lie? 
It's a question uh, that's very important, especially in the season that we're all living in, and a question that I hope you're thinking about too. That question has taken us to Matthew chapter five, some of Jesus's most famous teaching, the Sermon on the Mount. Now we've read these verses each week, but Matthew five verses one to two begins this way. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them. In what follows, Jesus gives his followers eight beatitudes, or what we've been referring to is in this series, eight priorities that Jesus gives for the blessed life. The first one he gives is in Matthew 5, 3. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When we looked at this a couple weeks ago, we saw the value of humility. Remember the tax collector, who said, have mercy on me, O Lord, a sinner. We saw the value of having a proper view of ourselves, being shaped by who Jesus defines us as. And with that frame of mind in place, we leaned into Jesus's second priority. We saw in Matthew 5, 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. We saw that this kind of mourning isn't just about our personal sin, but it's about the evil that our world faces. And we found that as believers, we're tuned into that evil, but we're also trusting God in the midst of it. So if you were one of the first followers of Jesus who followed this new teacher up this mountain and were hearing him for the first time, so far, Jesus's Sermon on the Mount is pretty negative. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. What Jesus does next, even though it maybe didn't crack our top three, is he gives us the first positive beatitude. In what follows in Matthew 5, 5, Jesus gives us an invitation. It says this, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. So what is meekness? Sometimes in a classroom environment, I like to do word association. So when I say meek, you say what? What kind of words come to mind? For real, when I say meek, you say what? Okay, I'm hearing some biblically informed audience members here. See, when our culture thinks about meek, typically the words that we associate with that are words like weak, words like wimpy, a word uh, maybe my mom used to use, wishy-washy. In other words, meek in our culture doesn't usually have a positive connotation. You know, I spend a lot of time with young adults Sometimes um, a young adult girl will be telling me the, the, the kinds of things she's looking for in a spouse. I've never heard a, a Christian young adult girl say, I'm just looking for a guy who's just so meek. You know, it's just not something that we do. But maybe it is something you should be looking for if you're a young Christian girl looking for a spouse. Meekness is a word that Jesus used to talk about himself. 
Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30 say this. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Meekness is also a word uh, Paul used to describe himself when he was talking about how he wanted the churches to view him. Uh, 2 Corinthians 10.1, he says, I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. So you have Jesus and Paul, two pretty tough dudes, right? Two guys who had no problem confronting opponents with boldness when they had to. Two guys who faced death with incredible bravery. Meekness does not mean weakness. So what does it mean? Well, the the technical biblical definition for our context here is this. Not overly impressed with a sense of self-importance. Not overly impressed with a sense of self-importance. It's translated in the New Testament, not just meek, but words like gentle, humble, considerate. I asked Pastor Doug uh, what his definition of meekness is. He said, meekness is power under control. But meekness can be one of those things that's sometimes easier to illustrate than it is to define. So do you remember uh, back when Abraham had his choice of the promised land and he deferred to Lot? That's meekness. Or uh, when, when Joseph had an opportunity to get revenge on his brothers, remember what he said, am I in the place of God? That's meekness. Moses had it as he dealt with the children of Israel, that wandering wilderness generation. King David had it as he waited for God to appoint him to king, saying, I'm not going to mess with God's anointed. That's meekness. Meekness is power under control. Meekness is gentleness, humility. Meekness is not overly impressed with a sense of self-importance. But here's how I like to think about meekness. Meekness is the alternative to me-ness. Meekness is the alternative to me-ness. Now, most of us here, uh, you know, under this tent, most of us watching online, We are self-identified followers of Christ. So I have a question for us to think about today. How are we doing in the meekness department? Are God's people known far and wide for being humble, gentle, not overly impressed with a sense of self-importance? Or do we often struggle with more meanness than meekness? We're just three beatitudes into the Sermon on the Mount, but here's a virtue that is uncommon among God's people. Do you wanna grow in meekness today? I know I do. So here's what we're gonna do. Throughout the series, as we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, we've also been looking at some parables that Jesus taught that help us to understand and apply the truth that we're learning. So in Luke chapter 14, uh, we get a great short parable, but a powerful parable that when we, when we cast it alongside Jesus' teaching, it really gives us a great window into what true meekness really looks like. 
So we're gonna unpack this short parable in Luke 14, and then I wanna give us two questions that we can ask ourselves as we seek to grow in Jesus's priority of meekness. So Luke chapter 14, verses seven to 14, we read the parable of the wedding feast. Parable of the wedding feast. So as Luke 14 begins, it's the Sabbath day. And Jesus is invited into the house of a prominent Pharisee. Now that was fairly common for Jesus. He spent a lot of time in places like that. But what happens in Luke 14 is anything but common. The first six verses of this chapter are action-packed. I mean, you see Jesus dramatically heal somebody with dropsy. Uh, You see Jesus get into a heated debate with the Pharisees about whether healing on the Sabbath is actually okay. In fact, this party turns out to be more about the conversation than the dinner or the party. I've been to a few dinner parties before like that, uh, where it's not so much about what's on the table, it's more about the conversation. Back when I was in seminary, my in-laws had the idea to invite my wife and I to an extended family dinner party. Now they had a plan. Uh, See, I was a pastor in training And they had a family member who was somewhat antagonistic to the faith. So even though I didn't know the plan, uh, I I learned about it pretty quick when they sat me down next to this uncle and said, John's gonna talk to you about the Bible tonight. (laughs) Uh, So despite that awkward introduction and and all that, uh, the conversation actually went pretty well until a problem arose. See, on the menu that night was seafood. And uh, I have to be pretty careful because I have a shellfish allergy, but something must have missed my attention that night because a few minutes into our conversation, my tongue started to not cooperate with my body. Hives started to form all over myself. And pretty soon the conversation was no longer about the Lord or about the Bible. It was whether John's gonna survive the party or not, all right? Now, needless to say, I didn't do very well in my assignment that night. But in Luke 14, Jesus does a lot better than I did. In fact, beginning in verse seven, Jesus takes the opportunity to address the room and he actually starts with the guests at this party. So he says, beginning in verse seven, now he told a parable to those who were invited. This is Luke writing here. And when he noticed how they chose the places of honor. So as Jesus looks around this party, he sees some me-ness going on. He sees me-ness at this party. As he sees them trying to choose the seats of best honor. So in response to that, this becomes a teaching moment to Jesus. And he begins with this parable. He says, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast... Do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. And then you'll begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now Jesus gives 
what seems to be some pretty practical advice here. You know, if you're at a party, it's better to sit in a place of less honor and maybe be asked to move up than to sit in a seat of most honor and then face the shame of being asked to move down. Now, in first century culture, probably a little more significant where you sat in a party, but even in our culture, we get this today, right? So if you're at a wedding reception, it would be a bad move to slide a little chair up to that cute little table that the, the bride and groom are eating at, right? Be much better to assume you're not wanted at that table than to be asked to leave. So Jesus' advice here makes a lot of sense. But why is he giving us a lesson on etiquette in a parable? Jesus' concern here was not to protect the Pharisees from future embarrassment. Rather, Jesus takes an opportunity here to speak to a heart issue. See, when Jesus saw those Pharisees vying for the best seats in the house, what he saw was something going on inside of them. Jesus saw a me-ness problem. And so he tells them this parable. And then in verse 11, he gives them that ultimatum. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now I said there are two questions we can ask ourselves from this parable. As we seek to apply the beatitude of meekness, here's the first one. It's very simple. How do I view myself? How do I view myself? Am I a person who exalts myself? Because Jesus says, I'm gonna be humbled. Or am I a person who humbles myself and Jesus promises one day I'll be exalted? Am I exhibiting meanness or meekness? How do I view myself? That's actually a very radical statement Jesus makes here in verse 11. Look at the second half of that verse again. He who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, full disclosure, this is not how it works in the kingdom of man. Do you remember what Jesus promises to the meek in our beatitude? They will inherit the earth. Who runs the earth in the kingdom of man? It's not the meek. In fact, this is one of the examples in Jesus' teaching where he takes the hierarchies of the kingdom of man and flips them upside down and says those meek people who are at the bottom in the kingdom of man, those will be exalted in my kingdom. Now I gotta say, um, I feel like this statement of Jesus is so relevant in our culture today. As a culture, we're really good at meanness, but we stink as meekness. We stink at meekness. In our culture, it is so easy to get focused on building our followers, on growing our brand, on expanding our name. And you know, there's a place for all that. But in a culture filled with influencers, content creators, 
It is so easy to slip into meanness. Now we need Christians in all those places, but it's so easy in our culture to slip into meanness, to slip into self-exaltation. We have to have examples in our life of meekness. Now this is true for pastors as well. So one of my favorite uh, theologians, pastors, is a, a man named D.A. Carson. Uh, I've read his commentaries for years. I've read his, his works. They've been a big impact on my ministry training, on my own personal walk with the Lord. And, uh, and I've been just reading his stuff for as long as I can remember. In fact, he's made such a big impact on me personally. When we were naming our second son, Carson, it was partly uh, named after this guy, D.A. Carson. People ask me sometimes, is he named after Carson Wentz? I'm like, no, D.A. Carson, okay? Um, they don't know who that is, and that's fine. But he wrote a book about his dad a few years ago. Now, his dad is not the kind of person you would typically write a book about. He, uh, he was a pastor in French-speaking Canada of some small churches, never saw much fruit of his ministry in Canada. Never had a big following, uh, never had a lot of people reading his stuff or listening to his messages. Pretty ordinary guy, actually. And that's exactly the reason that D.A. Carson wrote this book about his dad. It's called Memoirs of an Ordinary Pastor. Now, one of the recommendations at the front of the book, I wanna read you what it says here, just one sentence. In our 21st century tendency toward glamour, our obsession with numerical growth and expectancy for quick results, this personal testimony is a healthy reminder of heavenly priorities in the pastorate and in Christian ministry. See, we live in a culture where an ordinary life is not anything people write a book about. Make sure you also have examples in your life of meekness. Do you know anybody who's meek? <laughs> Chances are, if you do, they're not a flashy person. They're probably faithful, probably strong and solid. And according to Jesus, it's that kind of person who will one day be exalted. How do I view myself? You wanna grow in meekness? Ask that question. Do I have a meanness about me or a meekness? All right, so back to our party in Luke 14 because Jesus is not done here yet. And actually, I find this part of the story pretty funny. Um, Jesus is a guest at this house and he takes an opportunity to let all the other guests know what he thinks about their behavior, but he's not done. In fact, at this point in our story, he turns to the host now and he has something to say to him as well. So the text says he also, uh, to the man who had invited him, said, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So not only do we need to ask ourselves the first question, how do I view myself? There's a second question we need to ask if we're gonna grow in meekness. It's this, how do I 
view others. How do I view others? Do I use others? Do I invite only the kinds of people who can pay me back? Or do I serve others? Do I invite those who could never pay me back? At the party in Luke 14, Jesus sees the same fundamental problem between the host and the guests. The problem is self-advancement. The problem is meanness. And so here Jesus exposes the motives of the host and pushes us to do the same. You know, I'm very thankful uh, to have the parents I do. They are the definition of meekness. And they gave me a great example growing up of what this looks like in everyday life. If you were to come to our home at any given uh, Thanksgiving or Christmas or really any time of the year, or be in one of our family cars, you would have seen my parents serving others all the time. If you would have been in one of our home, in our home at one time or another, you would have met people like Jana. She was an old Dutch immigrant, a lonely person who evidently had learned English from somebody who cursed too much. Um, but I remember her in our home yelling at the top of her lungs, behavior, which was her way of saying, stop messing around. <laughs> I still remember her sharing prayer requests for her 12 adult children. You would have met people like Fran, who was a cocaine dealer on the streets of Toronto. She had a $700 a day habit. By the time we met her, her body had been completely ravaged by that drug. She had a, uh, an iron bar in her back or steel bar in her back uh, because of some of her physical problems. She was baptized on a backboard. I still remember that in the Humber River. <laughs> you would have met people like Vincent, who was an abortion survivor, found in a trash can in Europe as a baby and who could barely eke out an existence on his own as an adult, but had a heart of gold. And I could go on and on and on with people like that. My parents were always ministering to the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Now, I know people can be difficult. <laughs> but in Jesus' kingdom, in Jesus' kingdom, is the one place where everybody stands on equal ground. In the church of Jesus Christ, it's the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, the Yanas, the Frans, the Vincents of the world. We need to wear those people as a badge of honor. That's what the meek do. Now, of course, Jesus is not just telling us these things to think about when we have a dinner party. This is a heart issue. How do I view other people? We have to ask ourselves that question. When I deal with other people, do I do it to use them or do I do that to serve them? So this parable Jesus gives illustrates meekness with two questions that we need to ask ourselves. First, how do I view myself? Second, how do I view others? Now we've been trying to sum up these uh, Sermon on the Mount, Beatitudes or principles with a true north living statement. Here, here's what we're gonna say today. How do I sum up this beatitude? I do it this way. I will abandon meanness 
for meekness. I will abandon meanness for meekness. Now, another one of our convictions throughout this series has been that we don't leave these new priorities we're, we're gaining, that we don't leave them in the tent out here or you know, leave them on your screen if you're watching online. We gotta remember the mirror principle that we learned from James. Remember, we read this a couple weeks ago. James says in chapter one, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. We have to find ways to take the truth that we're learning and to put it into our everyday life. So I wanna leave us today with eight priorities. We're gonna go through them quickly. Eight priorities of the meek. These are mine. You're welcome to use them if you want. If you wanna write your own priorities for how you live from here on, that's great too. But we'll end with these eight priorities, eight priorities of the meek. Here's the first one. The first one, you have to start with humility. Have to start with humility. Meekness is the third beatitude for a reason. There's a sequence in the beatitudes. Poor in spirit, what we called humility, is a prerequisite to meekness. You can't be prideful and meek. They go hand in hand. And the parable points us in that direction with that first question. How do I view myself? Second priority, we have to dwell on God. We have to dwell on God. Uh, somebody said that humility comes from looking inward and seeing ourselves for who we are, whereas meekness comes from looking outward and seeing God for who he is. Meekness is replenished by a close walk with God, which is why you see it in Abraham, in Joseph, in Moses, in David, in Jesus, in Paul. Meekness comes as we dwell on who God is and what he has done for us. Number three, number three, the meek monitor their motives. The meek monitor their motives. Jesus went under the surface with the host and the guest to draw out the meanness in them. We have to do the same with ourselves. We have to ask ourselves good questions like, how do I view myself? How do I view others? We have to recognize that meekness is won or lost at a heart level. Number three, they monitor motives. Number four, the meek control their strength. The meek control their strength. Remember Pastor Doug's definition. Meekness is strength under control. Paul lives this out. Jesus lives this out. They limit their strength they direct their strength because they understand who they are and they understand the value of other people. The meekness control their strength. Meekness is not weakness, it's power under control. Number five, number five, the meek care for the weak. The meek care for the weak. We saw this so beautifully in the parable Jesus gave at this party. Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. We need to wear those people as a badge of honor in the kingdom of God. That's what the meek do. They care for the weak. Number six. Number six, three more to go. Prioritize faithful over flashy. The meek prioritize faithful over flashy. I was preparing this sermon. I don't know if it was Wednesday or Thursday night. I was laying in bed talking to my wife about the message. And you know, sometimes when you're preparing a message, 
you get an illustration or some way of looking at the text, you think, man, that's gonna, be, that's gonna really be effective. I hadn't really had anything like that happen yet. So I was telling her, I'm just not sure, you know, where this message is gonna go. And the more we talked about it, you know, this is a message on meekness. <laughs> it doesn't have to be flashy. Meekness is faithfulness. I asked you before, do you know any meek people? They're probably not flashy. They're probably faithful, solid, strong people who God says will one day be exalted in the kingdom of heaven. Faithful, not flashy. Number seven, the meek focus on the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of man. The meek focus on the kingdom of God. The meek are not attractive in the kingdom of man. Remember what Jesus does in his teaching is he takes the hierarchies of the kingdom of man and flips them upside down. He does this all the time, right? He does this all the time. You have to die to yourself to live. The first are gonna be last. Here he does it again. The meek are the ones who are gonna inherit the earth. The meek recognize and live with kingdom priorities in the kingdom of man. They focus on the kingdom of God. Number eight, last one. The meek live for the life to come. The meek live for the life to come. Who does Jesus say will inherit the earth? It's the meek. Who does Jesus say will rule with him in his kingdom and in the new heavens and the new earth? It's the meek. The meek dwell on God. They live in the spiritual blessings that God has given us today, but they also live for the life to come. That's a priority of the meek. They live for the life to come. So eight priorities of the meek start with humility. The meek dwell on God. They monitor motives. They control strength. They care for the weak. Prioritize faithful over flashy. They focus on the kingdom of God and they live for the life to come. Blessed are the meek, Jesus said. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Now I said before, uh, meekness is probably not one of our top three virtues. I said, if uh, you were scrolling through Amazon, you probably wouldn't find too many books with words about meekness and mourning and poor in spirit in them. You wouldn't go to Hobby Lobby and, and, and see art for your home with poor, mourn, and meek. So I had a friend make a sign for us this morning. <laughs> See, meekness was important enough to Jesus to be one of his top three priorities. If you would have followed him up that mountain and heard him open his mouth for the first time, you would have heard him point to true north and talk about blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn and blessed are the meek. Now, if those are Jesus's top three priorities, or at least the first three he talks about in the Beatitudes, why wouldn't we have signs like this hanging in our homes? Why wouldn't we be known as people who are poor in spirit, who mourn and who are meek? Why wouldn't we make that one of our big rock priorities? Why wouldn't that be true north for us? 
Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Let's be a people known for meekness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. I thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, I thank you that when we come to your word, many times we aren't just affirmed in how we live. We are challenged to change how we live. Lord, that's part of you sanctifying us. That's part of you changing us. So Lord, I pray that we would be faithful in growing in this priority, a priority that you have taught from the very beginning. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Lord, give us the strength to live that out in our day-to-day lives. I thank you for each one who's here, whether they be under our tent or online. I know there's a, a thousand places they could be right now, but they've chosen to be around your people and around your word. I pray that you'd bless them for that. We ask this all in Jesus' name, amen.